Thanks for tuning in to the podcast of The Porch Church. We hope today's message blesses you and encourages you in your spiritual journey. If you have questions, visit us on the web, www.theporchchurch.tv. So it was July of 1961. The 38 members of the Green Bay Packers football team had gathered together for spring training. This was after an incredible season. They found themselves in the Super Bowl fighting for the NFL championship and after a dominating season and even a dominating game in the fourth quarter, they saw their lead slip away and they lost the NFL championship to the Philadelphia Eagles. This had been a defining moment for them. Again, the entire season had built up to that moment, and every conversation since that day, every fan conversation, every interview, every conversation around the dinner table, I'm sure it felt like, was all about how they failed to deliver, the ways in which they neglected to perform, to follow through, to finish through on what they wanted to do. They'd been dealing with that loss, that failure all summer, but now it was spring training, right? Now it's time to start fresh, to to start new, to come in with a renewed sense of purpose. And as you do at the beginning of a season, they were expecting their coach to, to come in with some resounding speech, to come in with some championing moment about how, how they were going to seize the day and they were going to come back and they were going to fight harder and train stronger so that things like that never happened Again, of course, their coach at this time was the legendary coach, Vince Lombardi, who was known for his emphasis and his impact, not on winning big games, but on the fundamentals of football. So on that July day of 1961, he stood up and he addressed the room, and he said to this room of professional football players who were fighting for the NFL championship, and he said, gentlemen, this is a football Right? Not exactly the most inspiring thing, not exactly the most resounding speech, but it's a famous picture. Perhaps you've seen it before. But what he was saying in that moment is before we worry about redemption from last year, but before we worry about championships, before we worry about proving ourselves on the field, let's start with the basics. Gentlemen, this is a football. This is the basics. This is the starting point. And before we can work on plays and redemption, all the big pieces that go into football, let's start with the most basic, fundamental building blocks. Let's start with the foundations on which everything is built on. Because Coach Lombardi knew that if we focused on the small things, then the big things would come into play as well. If we focused on those basic elements, if we set a strong foundation, then we'd be sure to have have great victories accompany it because everything has to start with a rock solid foundation. And that's really the point of this series. What we're talking about here is what are the foundational elements to our faith? What are the foundational elements to us personally in our pursuit of Jesus? But even more than that, what are the foundations on which the church is built on? Not just our church, not just a church out there somewhere, but like the big C church in Scripture. What are the things that kind of outline and undergird that? Because we have some things in Scripture that tell us what the most basic fundamental elements of a church are, of God's church are. And when we focus on those things, not only can we build a church that lasts on a strong foundation, but we can put our personal lives in the same blueprint and we can build something that lasts on the foundation of our faith. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be 
starting out in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. We've talked about this verse multiple times, but we're going to use this as our launching off point. If you'd like to follow along, it's on page 513. You can slip your hand up. Uh, our ushers are walking around with Bibles, but we're going to use this little verse, these verses here as kind of the, the building blocks, the foundation for where we're going in this series. Last week, we started off with this, and, and Josh talked to us about prayer, and we'll review that here in just a second, but I just want to read this passage together, and I, as we read it, I want to hear, right, we're, we're small enough this morning, so I want some participation, all right? So I want you to hear kind of what, what maybe sticks out to you in this passage as we read it together. Let's start in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They, this is the church, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Doesn't that just sound like church, right? Isn't that kind of maybe when you think about that, that first church or New Testament church, maybe pieces of this passage come to play? What stands out for you in there? Yell it out. What are the major themes that you see? What are the words that stick out to you in that paragraph? Devotion. Love it. Absolutely. Somebody else? Break bread, right? Yeah, so they say breaking bread, which is definitely a reference to communion, uh, but it probably would have felt more like a meal, like maybe you share before your life group, than the ritual that we have here. Absolutely, this idea of fellowship and being together was important. What else sticks out for you? Every day, yeah, there's this piece of like, this is continual, right? It isn't just like once a week. They did this regularly. What else stands out to you as we read these verses? Community? Together, yeah, unity, right? They had this giving in common peace. We talked about that a lot in our study in Ephesians. So we're going to use some of these building blocks to talk about kind of the foundational pieces uh, that make a strong foundation for the church. And again, if we incorporate them into our lives, I think that they make a strong foundation for us to build our faith on as well. So last week, Josh opened us up by talking about prayer. Remember he talked about the Millennium Building in LA, I think it was, or San Francisco, right? Had sunk 17 inches since it had been built and was 14 inches off center, right? That was crazy. I hadn't heard about that until he talked about it, right? I was just thinking of the Tower of Pisa, which I wonder if that's what it's going to end up looking like kind of in the middle of whatever city it's there, right? But uh, uh, how many of you guys then took Josh's challenge and set a prayer alarm this week? Did anybody do it? All right. How'd that work out for you? Good? Bad? Did it ring in front of somebody that you had to explain it to and where you're like, yeah, sorry, it's my prayer alarm. Or you're like, yeah, it's nothing, don't worry about it, right? Uh, I, that happened once when I did that, and it's amazing how quickly prayer, which is this thing I'm supposed to be devoted to, becomes, oh, that's just nothing that I want to talk about. I'll just leave that over there. We don't need to worry about it, right? Prayer is this foundational piece, though, Josh said. It's one of these major building blocks that we have to build, and not only in our corporate worship together, uh, but also in our individual practices, right? Prayer is a foundational piece to the church and our lives as believers. So today, I just kind of want to start at the beginning, really, to pull back the layers and really to set kind of the direction for this series, to talk with some broad brushstrokes about what we see in this passage, and then we're going to take each week kind of a, a major building block that I see or we see in these verses 
verses together and add it to them. So we're just going to start kind of at the first line and work on through, right? We see that in the first line that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to prayer, and the breaking of bread, right? Now, in this moment, we already talked about the breaking of bread, but this word devoted really is kind of the thing that carries the passage forward. And in the original language, it actually appears twice, once in verse 42, that verse that Regis read where it's translated as devoted, but it also appears in verse 46, but it says, and they continued. But the word, the phrasing there actually means, and they continued devoting themselves. They kept on devoting themselves in this way. Now, the, the word here in the Greek conveys a strong attachment, like a, a really, really forward notion of devotion, of being attached mightily with vigor. It was displaying their commitment to these things and these habits that the Lord gave them. In other words, these weren't casual commitments. These weren't things to the side. This was foundational, and they believed it. They were devoted. They were locked in. It wasn't an option. It wasn't a good idea. It was fundamental. It was required. It was foundational for them to express the reality that they now believed in because Jesus had come. So before we go any further, I kind of think that this idea of devotion, this idea of fidelity, of commitment, of kind of pursuing one thing is really like the mortar that holds the bricks of the foundation together, if that makes sense. If each of these big categories are kind of rocks in the foundation, as it were, like prayer, Josh talked about, and we're going to talk about teaching today, then the, the glue, the mortar that sticks all of those things together is really this idea of devotion, of passionate commitment, of being committed, come rain, sunshine, or snow, to doing the things that God has set out for us, right? And devotion is really easy to spot. I think you can see devotion on a wedding day, right? Forsaking all others, keeping yourself only unto your spouse, right? I do. I will. And we see those commitments lined out. I think you can see devotion uh, in the eyes of a new parent, right? When they're handed their child for the first time and you're instantly just overcome with this idea of I will do anything forever, right? It doesn't matter what happens when you're a teenager. I'm devoted. I'm committed to you. Sometimes you can see it in the eyes of somebody who's new in their faith, right? Somebody who's just coming to understand grace, just coming to understand Jesus, and they're so raptured by this God who loves them. They're so caught up in this idea of grace and love and truth that they're just completely devoted to the things of God. But for each positive image of devotion that maybe you and I can conjure up, there's also this idea, though, that devotion kind of fades over time, right? Alongside with any time devotion starts out strong, we can always come up with an instance of where devotion has faded, right? Where till death do us part seems more like a chore than a joy. Where our kids become an obligation instead of the crown of glory on our heads. And where our relationship with God's become perhaps stale and routine or religious, we could say. In other words, right, our devotion fades over time. So as we look backwards in time, right, these are words that are written on a page, and it was written at the top highest moment of the church, and so we reflect on them some 2,000 years later, and, and it's really this time capsule, right, of white-hot devotion where 
time doesn't seem to move on. It's just standing still in that moment. And so if we're going to learn anything from this passage, anything from this moment in time, we have to recognize that devotion fades and that part of our job in building and applying a foundation is learning how to fan the flames of our devotion, of our love for Jesus, of our passionate pursuit of these things, these ideals to which he calls us to. Because we'll never experience God in the way that they did if we don't fan the flames of devotion as they did. We may attempt the same acts, we may do all the same things, we may hope for the same outcomes, but without devotion, without a strong, mighty, devoted, loving connection to God and to Jesus, we just wind up flat. So part of building a healthy foundation is found in devotion. So before we move on, what are you devoted to? What are you strongly committed to? What are you in love with? What do you never miss? Because those things speak to the devotion in our hearts, which the very words of Jesus tell us that where your treasure is, where those things that you love are, that's where your heart ultimately resides as well. If we're going to be devoted to the things of God, we need to do some internal retrospection to look into our lives and to see where am I devoted? Where are those places where I'm absolutely committed to? And where are perhaps those areas, those key habits where I need to devote myself more to the teachings of Jesus. So how is your devotion? That's the first thing that I don't think we can avoid as we look at this passage, is that each of these actions are one of devotion, characterized by love. But the second thing that I think we see is that each of these devoted acts, each of these things that they do, leads to a clear result. Something happens, in other words, right? Like they devote themselves to these actions, these habits, these fundamental pieces that we'll be talking about, and then something actually happens because of it. Let's go back, or let's go to verse 43, the second verse here. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So we see they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, prayer, breaking of bread, and the result was that everybody was filled with awe at the signs and wonders. See, when they devoted themselves to an action, there was a result. Something tangibly changed in the world around them when they practiced these foundational acts. Right? And this is why we're using these actions as a springboard for the foundational elements of our faith. Because when we expect results, when we express our faith, we can expect things to be different. We can expect when we act in faith for the world to change. Maybe not magically or mystically so, but we can expect it to change from our perspective. We can expect to be a conduit of God's grace and his love into the world. We can expect earth to become a little more like heaven as we devote ourselves to these foundational practices, which may, may sound a bit distant to you, may sound a bit highfalutin, but I think we all kind of believe that. How many of you came to church this morning hoping to leave in the exact same way that you entered? How many of you are just looking to kill an hour on Sunday morning? Anyone? No, right? Like we want something to change, right? We want our expression of faith to manifest itself in something that's actually different. Right? Whether that's in the relationships that we build, whether that's in our own disposition towards God or our reflection of the week, we all fundamentally believe that when we enter into a sacred space, when we come to God's presence, that something changes, that the atmosphere is different, that we leave different than when we came. At least that's why I show up, right? It may not be winning the lottery numbers, which is how we really wish God would show up for us sometimes, 
But the reality is that we do expect something to change when we express our faith. We expect actual results and tangible realities to happen. See, we all want our faith to make a real, actionable difference. And if anything pops out from these verses, it's that that's the truth. It does. When we express our faith, when we build on these foundational teachings, we can expect results. Not mathematical results, A plus B equals C. God is not a vending machine to be manipulated, but we can expect ourselves to be changed, to be transformed in the presence and in the nature of how God is working. We can expect results in the spiritual world. We can expect results in our hearts and our minds and in our love and our compassion. And those things can change the physical world around us. In other words, our faith results in action. We all believe this. It's why we show up and we can expect that when we see these things in scripture that we can rest assuredly on them. So the first thing we see is acts of devotion, right? They did things that they were devoted to, not casually, but they were committed to them. Second, we see results that there's tangible evidence of our time spent worshiping and being in God's presence and being with other believers. The third thing that I see as we look at this passage is that when we see results, it always elicits a response. Results lead to a response, In this verse, let's go back to verse 43, right? So the action is that they devote themselves to specifically these four, to teaching, to prayer, to fellowship, and the breaking of bread. The the result of that then is that signs and wonders are performed and the response of the people is one of awe, right? Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, In other words, when they devoted themselves to these actions, the world changed around them and their response was, wow, right? Like, that's amazing. Like, I can't believe that that happened. I can't believe that God showed up in that way. That's amazing. God's amazing. Because when we devote ourselves to him through a set of actions, through regular practices and habits that result in actual changes in our lives, the response that that creates is a wow, is a huh is a sense of wonder, not only from within the church, but also from those without the, outside of ourselves, from those around us. Now, you might be saying that this is easier said than done, right? After all, it might be easier to be devoted to prayer if, say, you saw the signs and wonders that the New Testament church saw, right? Like if you prayed for healing and somebody's leg was regenerated before you, you might have a little bit more belief in that action, right? So you might be sitting here going, yeah, but my, my faith, right, the, the actions that I take don't result in the signs and wonders, at least that I see in the New Testament. Sometimes our experience doesn't quite fit what we see in the Bible. Is that true? So let's talk about that, right? Sometimes our devotion feels like a chore, right, like on snowy Sundays in October, Sometimes prayer feels like a duty, and reading our Bible feels like an obligation. And sometimes the results that we see in Scripture don't match what we see in our lives. And sometimes our response isn't one of awe. It actually feels a little bit more awful. Anybody with me there? A couple of you? I want to press into that because I think that for too often, right, that that's our existence, right, that we kind of disassociate ourselves from the Bible because we don't see the same things, we don't have the same experiences, and I actually want to push back against that because I think that there are more signs and wonders that are happening in the world around us right now than we give ourselves credit for, that there's more awe being transcribed through us being the church 
than perhaps any of us is aware of, right? So what does a great passage like this have to do with us when our world doesn't seem to function in the same way? Let's take the very first thing in the list, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What are we talking about there? Who are the apostles? We wake up there, who are the apostles? Somebody coughed louder than you were speaking. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. (laughs) Right? These are the followers of Jesus, right? His disciples, the guys who he poured into for three years. Paul also lists himself among the apostles. So the apostles' teaching then would be the the sermons, the things that they were teaching. In Scripture, this comes right after Peter, right? One of the disciples, one of the apostles. He gives like the first Christian sermon ever recorded, and it's right there for us in the Bible. And he connects the dots about God and Jesus and the direction of the world, and it's at the tail end of this that we see these guys going, we're going to devote ourselves to those types of teachings. In other words, Peter shares a gospel message of grace and truth and a God who loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you so that you could spend eternity with him even though we could never earn it on our own. And the early church said, let's devote ourselves to those teachings, right? They didn't have a Bible, The Old Testament existed, but they were a part of the New Testament, which is kind of crazy to think about. And so these teachings that they devoted themselves to would become the foundational elements of the New Testament that you and I read. So when they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, they're devoting themselves to the teachings of Jesus. Let's fast forward today. So where do you go today in your life to hear about the teachings of Jesus? Church, right? You show up here and some guy talks to you about Jesus and about what the Bible says. That's great. How else do you hear about the teachings of Jesus? Bible, right? When you do your devotions, when you have your time to read, absolutely. Maybe you listen to a podcast where you have time and opportunity to invest your life in the teachings of Jesus. Maybe it's in the radio and the worship songs that you do. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, and 2,000 years later, we're still doing it. We may have different contexts. We may have different tools at our disposal. But nonetheless, we have the ability to devote ourselves to these same types of lessons. So they devote themselves to the gospel, to biblical teaching to a new understanding of who God is and who Jesus is, and the results is signs and wonders. Okay, let's bring it back to us today then. So when you read the Bible, when you show up to church, what are the results in your life? Don't say nothing, you'll hurt my feelings. What are the results in your life? When you get exposed to the teachings of Jesus, when you read your Bible, when you come to church and somebody leads you in a message about the teachings of Jesus, how then does that translate into a real result in your life? What do you see? Maybe you're more compassionate. Maybe you have a little bit longer fuse with your family at home. Maybe you're able to go into your coworker and to listen to them as they talk about their weekend and all the things that they did and you're willing to give them a little bit more grace and a little bit more love because you took the time to come and worship together. Maybe there's a hard story that's circulating around your office and you find yourself inclined to give to that, to give to the victims of Hurricane Michael, uh, to find yourself giving and being more compassionate in the world, to be filled with more love, to want to share more grace with people, right? The result of spending time devoted to the teachings of Jesus is that we change, that we become a little bit different, right? So catch this and don't miss it. When you devote yourselves to the teachings of Jesus, to the apostles' teachings, you begin to change. 
You begin to grow and mature in your faith, and something that didn't exist in the world now exists because you spent time focusing and devoting yourself to the teachings of Jesus. And you actually become the sign and the wonder and the proof of God's existence in the world when we devote ourselves in this way. And let me tell you, when we behave as we're instructed to behave in Scripture, as the teachings of Jesus instruct us to behave, the way that the world around us will respond is one of awe, because it's not typical to love people who, who curse us, to find ourselves still being gracious and compassionate even when somebody stabs us in the back. To find a reservoir by which we listen and love in people is not fundamental to the way that the world works. It's very counterintuitive. And so when we spend our time devoted to the teachings of Jesus, we become the sign and the wonder and the proof of God's working in this world. And when we behave in a manner consistent with that, the response, not even within ourselves, but in the world around us is one of, huh, wow, that's interesting. Why do you do that? Maybe it comes up in work where you're like, dude, that guy tore you apart in that meeting. Why didn't you defend yourself? Why didn't you tear him back? Why didn't you fight back? Well, because I was reading this morning in Scripture that a righteous man doesn't need to defend his actions, and so I didn't need to defend myself to him because my defender is in heaven. Huh. That's really weird. <laughs> That's really counterintuitive. I wouldn't think that way. Huh. That's really interesting. How come you never gossip about anybody, right? How come you always have nice, encouraging things to say 